The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.theweightcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Your, your arms physically just so tired, and you're like, no, no more bites. But okay, one, one more bite, <laughs> and you just can't give up, right? Well, that that's that's the obsession for me. It's like um, just because it was red hot yesterday doesn't mean you'll catch a fish the next day, and. Those lakes always amaze me, and, and that's one thing I think the, the, the province has done really well uh, managing some of these trophy fisheries because, l- let's face it, opening day on a lot of these fisheries, uh, you know the fish are a little more willing to, to play, if you will, but as you get, yeah. as you get later <laughs> into the season, you, you better be willing to put in some hours and, and work, right? Yeah, they've seen the same, you know, black chronomid with a red butt, and it's like, okay, nice try, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us today, and we're going to do what we love to do, and that is talk with passionate people in the fly fishing space. And I assure you, we've got one of the most passionate people that uh, we've probably ever had on the show, an amazing fly tire out of Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. Um, we've got Brandon Molzan. Now, Brandon is a pro staff tire with Togans. I know he's an avid bow hunter, plays the banjo. And man, we, we got a lot we can talk about. And I, I, I suspect we're fishing some of the same waters. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I've been a long-time listener, first-time caller, but always appreciate what you're doing on this podcast, so it's uh, it's an honor to be a part of it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I, I love what you're doing at The Vice. So for me, like I, I have a passion for tying flies, and it seems to, every few years, it kind of ramps up, and the longer we do, there's so much to learn, you know, and, and so for me, this is a great opportunity to maybe get a few tricks and tips of the trade and just kind of get your background get your story that's what we're all about so well, you know what i'd like to know brandon is is how did um this obsession start for you like uh, rewind the clock and uh how did you come to discover fly fishing and, and fly time oh sure yeah um i was pretty much i would say like born with a, a rod in my hand like very fortunate to have both my parents who just love the outdoors and like so many of like 
birthdays and special occasions we just we'd go up to a fishing lake either renting a cabin or bringing a boat and um just trolling to begin with and then there's certain times of the day where my dad would break out his fly rod and that to me was just like money seeing the fish rising up in the little lily pad areas the little shoals and bays and just like awestruck seeing him just land fish after fish on like a dry fly and that was like okay dad like you got to show me how to do this thing and then fast forward a few years my brother ended up buying me my first fly rod as a uh, graduation present so from that moment it was just one of those cheap walmart combo specials but uh i think every waking moment i was with my float tube on the water just trying to figure this thing out and beating the water to a good froth and and then uh you know you figure things out beating (laughs) the water to a good froth i think we've all been there in the learning curve yeah yeah totally and some days were great um you know i i particularly just knew how to dry fly fish that was it i didn't really know the ins and outs and um, you know, the life cycles of the insects, that's been a whole kind of recent learning curve for me, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I would, I would do my best. Some days were better than others. And then, um, fast forward a number of years, started getting really into, um, the entomology side of things and seeing like just so much knowledge that's available there at our fingertips. Like, it's just been wonderful to, to learn new techniques and learn all the different types of patterns. Um, and then so started getting into, you know, subsurface fly fishing and that's when it really started to resonate and hit home. And mm-hmm. I would always visit, you know, the local fly shops and spend my, my small fortune on flies and gear. And, you know, some of it helped me off Oftentimes I'd just get get frustrated at not uh, not being able to figure out the lake. But over the years, that just turned into more of an obsession, you know. So I'm, I'm going to take a wild stab here and say that you probably spend a little bit of time in Kencraft and Trout Waters. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say yeah, those are my my usual. Maybe too. Yeah, yeah, a little bit surplus. They got some really good gear in there as well, and that was my. Uh, my typical watering holes, you know, going to those places and just soaking up the knowledge from the knowledgeable uh, staff there and then yeah. feeding off of what friends were, were doing as well. Um, and then, so, yeah, always was like very passionate about fly fishing. And um, then it kind of came, came to a point where I was, you know, spending so much money on these flies. And then I'd say the tipping point for me getting into fly tying was seeing like this chronomid fishing and i didn't know what that was i thought okay like people are paying like three dollars for these tiny little you know size 18 size 16 hooks and i'm like yeah, no if i'm paying three dollars for a fly i want a big like gonfus or something gaudy <laughs> and they get that value for your money right yeah get some meat <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh it came to a point where i'm like man i'm spending that much on tiny chronomids why don't i figure out how to tie these myself and then so i ended up just picking up a an entry level vice from one of my neighbors actually and just he had a starter kit that he never really got into and yeah holy did i did i not see that coming what i was getting myself into (laughs) (laughs) well that that seems to be the way and i i love how you verbalized starting fly fishing because i think that's one of the easiest things when we first start Fishing a dry fly, it's very easy. 
It's very visual. You can see mm-hmm. it. You can feel it. You're you're looking at what's happening. There's insects coming off. But when you start kind of delving below subsurface, uh, you kind of nailed it. That's that's when things start getting a little interesting, and you start going, okay, so this is the nymph version of the dry. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just like a light a light bulb moment where where things kind of switch and and you just kind of start digging deep. Yeah, yeah, you kind of you get into the driver's seat, I would say, of fly fishing, and you get to kind of navigate that versus you know waiting for a dry fly uh, hatch to happen. You know, you're 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 sitting, you're waiting for that opportunity, but when you can kind of fit that puzzle together and you know what pieces might fit, mm. then that's uh, that's the pretty cool science of it, I think. We've had a few of your uh, co- co-workers on, let's say, from, from Togans. I've, I, we've had Dan and yeah. Jack on the show. We've had uh, Tyler Ekdahl on the show, uh, and I think others. Who else you got? Is is Trevor on your pro team too? No, he's not. He's with, uh, yeah, he's with a couple of different companies, okay. but man, that guy can spin up a good chronomid. Who, who else yeah. is on that? Who else is on your pro staff there? Uh, oh yeah. We got, we got Ken Woodward. Right. We got Chuck Loftus. We've got Cat Toy out of, uh, I believe she's from Colorado. Yeah. Um, oh goodness. Forgive me guys. If I'm forgetting any of you, we just added, um, about four, four or five different tires from just around the globe we've got this one gentleman rune he's from i, I believe he's in uh, norway wow and uh so it's a, a cool like um cool blend of all these different styles and you know some of them are river fishers some of them still water fishers and uh it's pretty neat brotherhood and sisterhood how long have you been with with the guys at togans it's been pretty recent i mean my my whole fly tying journey i i would say i'm I'm within a year right now, just really, you know, dove head first into it. My wife was like, yeah, start fly tying. You know, I encourage that. What could go wrong? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, uh, with Togans. So let me rewind a little bit. Um, started, yeah, just following guys like um, like Stanton was very influential with my, uh, you know, my early days there and seeing like, um deb pascal she's been very influential as well and watching like youtube of sport fishing on the fly with the freshy brothers and brian chan and phil roley and like those legends of this the sport right um that's where it was like really captivating where i'm like okay i can instead of just making some chronomids let's adventure out there and make some cool patterns and then um, Stanton kind of reached out to me and he said, um, hey, Brandon, like loving the stuff you're putting out. Would you ever consider like coming on board as a pro tire with Togans? And I, you know, like in that moment, I still remember just kind of like hands were trembling. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is like a dream come true. And then, uh, yeah, Justin over at Togans, him and, and Sherry were, were so uh, just welcoming and um i just got to talk about togans for a second if i can mark yeah um that's why we're here man yeah so they uh you know i was a, a customer of theirs and placed i think it was my first order with them and um got the order in the mail and there's a couple of hooks that were you know not what i had ordered and i thought oh no shoot i don't want to be that guy but it's like okay i'll just reach out to them and and see what their customer service is all about and i would say within like two minutes i kid you not i get an email back from sherry and she's like brandon you know that's our mistake um 
you keep all those hooks, you know, we're going to be resending you out all the, all the stuff you ordered first thing in the morning. Um, but that's just our gift to you. And I was like, Holy cow, like, um, that type of customer service, I could definitely get on board with a company like that. And then, so I've been supporting them through, you know, whatever money I could scrounge up together to put some, uh, some orders together yeah. and yeah, they're just knocking it out of the park. So when I had the opportunity, like, wow, like Togans is considering, bringing me on it was just yeah I, I think i was just in in awe of that whole process um yeah sorry to ramble on there oh, a little bit. i love it i love it i've had nothing but amazing experience dealing with those guys and uh, you always get a nice little well i know quite often there's a little handwritten note that said thanks a lot for the order try this and there'll be like a little yeah. sample pack of something i think i get some i want to say some red squirrel or something i ever fought yeah i can't remember but i'm just like wow that's kind of cool like they're for me that's like you know they give you something new to try and you're like well if i like it and uh yeah it's a, i mean that to me I, I really find that customer service these days and it comes up on the podcast a lot it's kind of gone the way of the dodo bird it with a lot of you know covid stuff it's like you know look we're just lucky there's people in the shop and (laughs) it's like you know what i mean and then you have those those few companies out there that are just always go above and beyond and i always find that uh, for me customer service is huge because i'm like you i I never want to be i i don't send anything back and i i this comes up on the show, but I think I got five broken fly rods in a closet here that are worth a lot. <laughs> I'm just like, I'll just buy a new one. I, yeah. And it's not that I'm, um, I, I don't know why I do that. I just hate, because you know what it is? I worked I worked in a fly shop and I worked in, uh, you know, customer service and retail like yourself. And it's like, there's nothing worse than re- people that always return stuff. It's like, oh man, because yeah. some people make a career <laughs> of that shit, right? Like it's like, oh totally. And uh, for me, it's like if I'm sending it back, there's there's good reason, or or, or likely it'll never happen. But so, yeah, that's like uh, my my wife when we when we go for dinner, you know, if if I order steak and they give me chicken, then you know, it's like, no, babe, it's fine. Like, and she's like, no, no. <laughs> you I, I think you and I are similar because I'm the same way. It's like I guess I'm eating chicken. Yeah. <laughs> make the best of it here uh, we go yeah, yeah yeah it's funny the service industry is interesting i think if you for a lot of people that haven't worked in the service industry then maybe they don't get that but i think anybody that's ever served somebody at a restaurant or you know worked retail you know you're always trying to keep the customers happy and that's that's a full-time job especially especially yeah. these days but hey i want to yeah. i want to take some time to get to know you off the water brandon you ready for a few questions to get to know your your day-to-day yeah absolutely i know you play the banjo i know you've got like some <laughs> some some backcountry kind of stuff going on there let's talk tunes so if you're in your truck and you're headed to your favorite spot what what are you listening to on the stereo yeah, so usually on the way to the water, I've got um, I've got some like country bluegrass. That's usually my my go to. You know, wake you up in the in the morning with some uh, nice subtle banjo. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so a couple of bands that are you know on my routine playlist. I, I love some of the old Steel Drivers stuff. So Chris Stapleton's previous band. Okay. Um, a lot more of that bluegrass feel, and then uh, a couple others like it's one band Trampled by Turtles yeah. and uh, old old crow medicine show you familiar with those guys and i'm not i'm not no oh, okay I, yeah. I i loved union station back in the day when oh I was yeah country yeah. radio and just <laughs> the, allison krauss's voice to me was just like 
angelic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty phenomenal. So that's usually like, that's my, uh, on the way to the water, depending on how the fishing is after the water, it could get into a little bit more, um, some, some heavier stuff, some punk rock, some, yeah. some, some metal, what about you, Mark? I, I think that you're a, a classic, a hard rock type of guy. I was, yeah, I was weaned on that stuff. But, you know, it's funny. I, I always enjoy chatting with people when your music, the music's diverse, right? Like you can listen to Motley Crue or you could listen to Metallica, but you're also got, you know, some, some bluegrass going on. For me, that's kind of cool. It's yeah. like, you know, I'm not going to sit and listen to opera. I'm not going to lie, but, um, yeah. <laughs> I'll listen to pretty much everything else. Like I, 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 I love it all. Like for me, if, if it speaks to me, I love it. And I'm, yeah. a, I'm a huge country guy now lately. I just, do you know what it is? I follow instruments. So for me, I love the yeah. guitar and, and I just found with a lot of pop, the guitar is dead. You know, yeah. and I want to hear that. So I, a lot of times there's new stuff coming out. Don't get me wrong. And, and I th- I think we're on the verge of some some changing music, if that makes sense. It feels like we've been, you know, co- with COVID, people have been sitting home and writing songs. So ima- yeah. imagine, yeah. like, it's just like fly time, right? You got all these all these artists waiting to kind of release their, their latest stuff. I guarantee you there's going to be some amazing music come out of the last two years that we have not heard yet. And I'm excited yeah. for it. Oh, that's a good, that's a good point. Cause it's like, um, I, I think I, I, I agree with you where it's all about like the musicianship, right? If they're, if they're good at their craft, then, you know, mm. then I'll, I'll, I'll take it in. And like, I grew up, you know, always playing in a band and touring a little bit and I was a bass guitarist and, uh, and yeah, so when you can pick out like the other parts of the band, that's when the music comes alive. So it's, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a what, lot of good stuff out there. What kind of stuff did you play in your cover band? Like, are we talking rock, mostly country, a little bit of everything? Yeah. So I grew up, I grew up in the, in the church circle, right? So a lot of where I cut my teeth was, you know, playing on the, the Sunday worship band or, um, that was kind of the, the ground stage for it. And then, you know, throughout high school really got into like the punk rock scene. And, uh, that was back when all that stuff was just so cool. <laughs> or at least I thought it was. And, uh, and yeah, so just to, you know, touring around a little bit. And then I played for a couple of like local artists in the Okanagan, just kind of, um, you know, some, some pop rock and so a little bit of like country and, and rock mm-hmm. as well. Cool. Is that something you still do or, or are you kind of just, uh, you're working on your tying and, and your own musical stuff at home now? Like, are you still in a band? Yeah, I, I think I'm a, a bit more of a washed-up musician now. You know, I, the uh, the guitar cases are seeing a little bit more dust on them. But uh, if the need arise, like I'd play for, uh, you know, um, a, f- a few bands here or there. But I think the biggest thing is just the time commitment, right? To, right. to invest into practice and learning new songs and, and yeah. this. I, I got to kind of cut out some of my hobbies for sure to focus on the ones that uh, really fill me up. Like like fly tying and fly fishing, right? What do you listen to when you're tying flies? You got music on in the background, podcasts. Um, well, is it quiet? Yeah, well, What's going on there? Yeah, usually what I'll I'll do. Um, I'm a big big sports fan, right? So I've got uh, I've got a few different things that I'll usually put on. I'm a a diehard Golden State Warriors like NBA basketball fan. Nice. Um, so seeing like you know the Splash Brothers in action, and just recently with 
the uh, the NBA All Star Game where Steph Curry drops like 50 points, and it's like, <laughs> holy, this guy's not human. So usually I'll be putting on a game in the back. I used to be a a diehard um, Vancouver Canucks fan as well when they had their their big run in 2011. There I was. Yeah. You know, just broken hearted at the result of that, but never missed a game. And and same with uh, some Seattle Seahawks. So usually I'll have some type of uh, sporting event going on in the background. And that way you can just kind of tune in once in a while and just get into the zone while you're tying. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice having background for sure. Yeah. Where, where do you get your fix when you're not fishing? So, you know, if you want to talk tying or you want to talk fly fishing, is there a social media app you're using all the time? Is it a shop locally? Is it, uh, you know, your Instagram account? Where do you, where do you get your fix when you're not on the water? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, I love what uh, you know the creators of the Stillwater group has done on on Facebook there. Yeah. Um, just like talk about an inclusive group where where there's. Uh, you know, I would say very, very minimal, um, you know, any bullying or rude behavior, like everyone's so encouraging, so supportive and seeing all different stages, right. Of, of guys just starting out tying and, and posting pictures to some of the more professional guys where you're just like, Holy cow, how did they spend that one? <laughs> um, that's been like, I'd say a huge, huge blessing for the, uh, the fly fishing community in general and then uh, so a lot you know with covid god bless it a lot has been um social media based and then yeah. um i've got a couple of buddies and i do enjoy a, a good tasty wing every now and then so we'll go down to some of the local wing uh either bars or pubs and uh have a have a bucket load of wings and tie, uh, talk you know fly fishing talk sports whatever comes up it's just good to hang out love it um, if you had to look back, you know, since you're fishing with dad and kind of picking up the fly fishing to where you're at today, wh- what does it do for you? Like, why do you do this? Hmm. That's a good question. My wife, my wife would say I'm just crazy why I'm so <laughs> passionate about it. But, um, for me, I think it's like a huge part of it is nostalgic um i think that's that starts the the allure to it where you get these memories of of hanging out with you know your your dad or your parents or your brother or your friends and you remember some just killer days on the water right and so you're always always striving for that that next time out and that next memory and that next biggest fish and um, you know, my background as well, I'm, I'm big into hunting, you know, I'd say hunting was, was a huge passion of mine mm-hmm. in between kind of my fly fishing years. Um, just, you know, dove head first into bow hunting and, and I still do that quite routinely. Um, but with hunting, you're always, you're searching for the game, right? You're, you're out, you're looking, checking out different countryside for fishing you know the games in the body of water so you've got a set of parameters to work with Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's so captivating it's like listen i've got all these tools in my fly box i've got you know different um different types of fly line i've got different techniques i've got a whole bunch of different uh flies boxes upon boxes and it's like how can i fool this fish and how can i figure out i know they're in this body of water somewhere so it it's uh that to me is like just a captivating um you know puzzle to to put together and figure it out 
Yeah. I think that's what's uh, always keeps me back coming. And, and, you know, the conditions can change on the fly, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but from uh, season to season, you know, depending on the body of water, so many variables that I think keeps it really exciting and really fresh. Yeah, no, that's that's well said. When you're not on the water or at the vice, what are you usually doing? Oh, I've got, yeah, I've got maybe too many hobbies. I, I, I think I got to kind of prioritize my time. I do um, try to keep quite active in, in the gym. Um, so that's usually, you know, three, four nights a week if I can fit it into the schedule. Um, and then still, you know, keep up quite a bit with some different sports. So whether that's um, playing men's league basketball, I used to be a hockey goaltender as well. And, okay. uh you know, tennis and beach volleyball. It's just like too much that the Okanagan provides. So you really got to kind of, okay, what do I want to do tonight? And then you throw, you know, you throw being a, a parent and fatherhood into the mix <laughs> and you got to make some, uh, yeah. some good decisions, right? But, oh, it's so true. It's like your time is, does it make you wonder what the heck you did with your time when you were 18? You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, okay, we got the little one, you got the day job, you got the side hustle, you got the hobbies, you got the sport. It's like, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I feel that. When somebody <laughs> says I'm bored, I just go, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. You wish, you know, when you're in those moments, like I remember taking my old, you know, Dodge Dakota up after work and I had a belly boat in the back and like, you know, no agenda. I'll go home when it's dark and like, you know, those were the good old days, but and then, you know, you fast forward now to, I've got a, a two-year-old and it's like, no, like these are the good old days, you know? And so I think it's just like so much of being in the moment, right? Yeah. Oh man, that that is very true. Um, what's the best job you've ever had? So I, I know, um, tell us first off, what are you doing for a day job now? Um, and what have you done in the past kind of thing? Walk us through your job history a little bit. Yeah, so recently I've been uh, fortunate to take on a position with um, Nature's Fair Market here in town. They've got seven different stores around BC and um, kind of a premier grocer for those of you that don't know. I'm an assistant manager there and that's been kind of, that's been my job the past decade, I would say. Um, prior to that, I was a uh, uh, journeyman electrician. I did that for about seven years and I just I always missed the the people right I'm a very um it's, it's a weird juxtaposition but I'm a uh, an introvert but I I enjoy people and I love working with people and so it's it's kind of given my head a little spin of hmm. you know yeah getting you know in the trades I definitely enjoyed it but I'd say as far as a a dream job goes like I love what I'm doing now I've got an amazing team and like just you know, associates that want to be at work. They want to help people in their journey to like health and wellness and yeah. be there for the community. Like it's a huge impact in all of the, the Okanagan community. So I feel really fortunate to be in the position that I am. I think, yeah. you know, looking back, maybe a favorite job. I worked part-time at, at sport check as a footwear salesman for a couple of years while I was in college there. And, and that was just fun, right? You get to um, hang out with just, tons of you know good friends and and yeah. slinging sports equipment out the door and that was like no stress just a a good job to help pay the bills 
Didn't you work at Home Depot? I thought I read that somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I was there with Home Depot for um, almost nine years, starting mm-hmm. out at the Vernon store, and then I did five years at the Kelowna store as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, you, sorry, go ahead, Mark. You, you know Brian Mottershead? I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so <laughs> one of my good fishing buddies is his brother, Colin. Oh yeah, I listened Sheffy. to that one podcast yeah. there, and that was that yeah. was awesome. That was a great podcast, he's, Mark. Uh, he's he's a character, man. That guy's passionate. <laughs> you, you get on with him. Um, no, that's cool. It, it shows you how much of a small world it is. Because I I start looking at uh, well, I look at your resume, and I'm like, oh, I bet you he knows this guy. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, absolutely. Um, what about locations fly fishing wise like i know it, you strike me as somebody that's that's been a few different places judging by some of your instagram pics um if, if you had to pick a location that you're like man i want to go back there you know without giving away your secret spot um yeah where would you I, go i think uh so like yeah growing up we always went to the the staple like upper mountain higher elevation lakes and you get the uh like the blackwater strain up there which is like you know they're just starving they'll eat any fly you throw at them and so you think you're you're really good with some of these smaller fisheries and then you go and you cut your teeth on some of the the trophy lakes that we have um you know around the merit the kamloops area where they've seen a fly or two in their day and so they're a little bit more testy and they and they challenge you and i think that is like the the alluring factor right now i've got uh, one local body of water that yeah i won't give out too many details um but in around the, the vernon area mm-hmm. and uh it's bested me a few times last season so you know i want to go back and have some redemption this year um you know i was fortunate to pull out a few that were you know, tipping maybe eight, nine pounds in that range. Nice. And, really? uh, had a couple of days where it was, you know, 30, 30 fish, 30 plus fish. And like your, your arms physically just so tired and you're like, no, no more bites, but okay. One, one more bite <laughs> and you just can't give up. Right. Well, that, that's, that's the obsession for me. It's like, um, just cause it was red hot yesterday. doesn't mean you'll catch a fish the next day. And, those lakes always amaze me, and and that's one thing I think the 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 province has done really well uh, managing some of these trophy fisheries. Because l- let's face it, opening day on a lot of these fisheries, uh, you know the fish are a little more willing to to play, if you will. But as you get yeah. as you get later into the season, <laughs> you, you better be willing to put in some hours and and work, right? Yeah, they've seen the same, you know, black chronomid with a red butt, and it's like, okay, nice try, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, well, let's talk about your tine. I, I love talking tine, and uh, you're, you're, you're coming up with some amazing patterns. Uh, we've got um, Brandon Molzan on the show uh, out of Vernon, B.C., pro staff with Togan's Fly Shop. Um I, I I saw some pretty sweet leech patterns you you posted a while back. I, I'm curious, like, do you tie a lot of leeches? It looks to me like you might. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got one whole like tacky box that's just full of leeches, and I like to tie them either um, balanced or just with a regular bead head, and like tons of uh tons of good options with materials i think we're so spoiled these days because they make us tires look 
really good when in actuality like it's just some lights out materials that you just throw a, a thread around and, and it does the work for you um but a huge fan of semi-seal leeches um and then as well um there's like the the marabou type leeches right so those those look uh, oftentimes like you can do them with a damsel fly pattern and like an olive or light olive and then you go with some like blacks and just the the movement in the water that's when i think those patterns really come alive and you know time after time they just get demolished so that's like it's a great searching pattern if you just don't know what's working fish you know fish aren't any respecter of leeches and uh, the opportunity of, of tasting one of those they'll they'll eat it up more often than not what do you um, do when you dub those patterns? Like, I'm curious, do you just kind of wind it with wax or, or on the thread? Are you using a dub and spinner? Because those yeah. look pretty sweet. What's your go-to in that department? Oh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, I, I like to use, um, I'll do like the, the dubbing loop, right? So I'll mm-hmm. bring the thread back um, to just about the bend of the hook and then grab a little bit of that semi-seal or, um, you know, some marabou tail fibers and have a, a little tail. And then from that, I'll do um, uh, a dubbing loop with the thread. And for a lot of these patterns, I like using the um, the Semperfly, like nano silk. You got to wax it up a little bit, but that stuff is so strong and so solid that you can really yeah. twist it tightly. You can torque on it and get those wraps nice and concise so that you don't have to tie a ton of leeches. I mean, to be honest, I... I hate tying leeches. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little bit like I don't know if it's OCD or just a clean freak. But I look at my bench after I've tied a few of those. I'm like, okay, I've got to clean this thing up and <laughs> and reset just for my own sanity. But, um, yeah, for those leeches, I'll usually do a a dubbing loop, um, and then just wrap that tightly up around itself to the the head of the hook and then before you finish those hooks like i've got a couple of videos of those um just to add um a little bit of that dubbing right as you tie in and whip finish it because then it just completely hides your thread and kind of buries it behind a bead or if you're building up a head so it's just a nice finish for that fly i mean granted the fish probably don't really care but uh, for my own sanity i'm like hey it's got to be perfect i i love what you're saying there because i i have found that in the past couple years it's like there's these little tricks and tips um i think with a lot of pro tires you're tying so many patterns and the photography is uh, is a huge part of that um i want to dig into all that but um just while we're on the topic of that nano silk i i I gotta admit man i I, i've gone over that lately and i really like it and and what i've found is and and tell me Tell me your experience on this is my scissors didn't like it at all. <laughs> I had the spring loaded Togans ones, which I love for yeah. kind of in, intricate stuff, but I got some carbide ones from Togans and that's what I use now to cut it with. Cause otherwise my scissors don't want to go through that stuff or I yeah. use a razor blade. What, what do you use for that? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Those carbide scissors are like super tough, super durable. Um, I've got a couple of different pairs of scissors that I typically like, like Togan's got one of their new, um, razor scissors out, which is like just amazing. I used to use the Dr. Slick razor scissors and I still do, but the Togan's give you just a little bit longer blade length. Um, but for the nano silk it's like imperative that you don't use nice scissors right because they'll they'll doll it up pretty quickly so for that stuff i've got um i've got this exacto blade set so i'll usually trim that or also go in with just my 
my all-purpose Dr. Slick scissors. They've, uh, you know, they might need a little resharpening or replacing, but uh, with that nano silk, you kind of want to um, slide the scissor across it versus a, a cutting motion, because yeah. otherwise it, it'll just kind of bend over your your blade. Um, but if that makes sense with the exacto blade or else the edge of your scissor, you just get up close and kind of slide it along there and it severs it pretty clean. That's a great tip. Pro tip right there. So when you go to <laughs> cut this stuff, so, and, and so, so with, even with the carbide blades, I usually, whether it's wire or nano silk or something, I know that's not scissor friendly. I go all the way in deep so I don't wreck the tip. Do you, yeah. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a really good point, Mark. I've got, um, I prefer the arrow scissor tip. So it's got that little like notch that's back where it hinges. Yeah. And that's like, that's perfect for like, um, trimming any wire. You know, if you're not going to helicopter the wire out of there, mm. um, that'll cut that nice and clean. And then, yeah, you protect, you know, those precious tips of those scissors. Cause when those go, it's, it's time to go pay tokens a visit and get some new ones or your mm-hmm. local fly shop and get some new ones. Right. Yeah. Fair. Are you, are, do you helicopter a lot of your wire off or what's your go-to on that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like for chronomids, especially if you're trying to get a nice clean profile, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll usually do a, uh, a couple of wraps in behind and in front of, um, and then while like holding the thread nice and taut in your offhand, get as close to that connection point on the wire as you can, and then just helicopter that out of the way. And then, um, it leaves it nice and clean and usually doesn't unravel on you as long as you keep tension on that. Um, Otherwise, with the scissors, it's really tough to get in close. And then you have a risk when you're finishing up the thorax of um, like fraying some thread as well. And that's the last thing you want. You know, the final step of this beautiful chronomid pattern and then your thread starts straying right before you can whip finish it. Yeah, been been there. (laughs) That's why I like the razor blade. I I always finish, especially with those strong threads with the razor blade, because it just cuts right down. and, And basically you pull the thread into the razor, right? Rather than risking nicking something on the fly. Yeah, you can kind of get the knack of resting the blade on the bead or, you know, as long as you have a steady hand and, and give some good pressure, then it's uh, it's mm. pretty fail-safe way to do it. Yeah. What's the main tool you're using? So your vice, what, what do you like to tie on? Oh, I think you'll you'll like me on this one, Mark. I've got the Renzetti Traveler. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. know that one. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Yeah. They are, uh, they're awesome. Like I, I started out with just a, um, a cheap, you know, regal knockoff that I'm sure 90% of fall fly tires have somewhere in their fly tying room. Um, and then my wife, um, for father's day gift, blessed me with this beautiful Renzetti traveler. And it's just, I love that. It's like, it's so minimalistic and you can, it's, it's so approachable, right? You have so much room to work on it. Yeah. Um, but yet that thing is super sturdy and, you know, very versatile from tiny little, you know, size 24 all the way up to, you know, size eight, size six. That's about as, as large of a, a hook as I tie. Are you using the C-clamp or the, uh, pedestal? Yeah, I've got the, the pedestal mount. Uh, material clip or none? Yeah, yeah, I've got the material clip on it there, and I love using the, um, uh, what do they call it, the the bobbin holder, bobbin cradle. 
um oh yeah that's, yeah that's yeah. really nice get yeah, that um, out of the ribs. way and totally yeah do you okay so so let's say you're whipping up a chronomet or something fairly small and you're going to a rib so you've got that little um thread holder um on your renzetti do you whip finish before you do that or do you just kind of hold it out of the way yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a gambling man at all. I, <laughs> I give a, I give a couple of whip finishes or else I'll do like a half hitch just to make sure that thread's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the, the trade-off is, especially for the smaller patterns, like you don't want to build up any bulk. So I think it's a Trevor Tatarchuk that says, you know, leave yourself a little, little ditch at the end so that you have, you know, this room to, to do a couple of whip finishes um, while you're still adding some material to it or doing the rib section just before you do that. I, I think it was Kelly Gallup. I, I watch this stuff a lot and, and I'll never, it's, it's embedded in my brain. Make every wrap count right <laughs> yeah, yeah totally <laughs> i think i think a lot of us were like oh let's just fill this in let's just do this but when when you when you're doing it with a purpose yeah it does change your time yeah yeah I, uh you know when i started out like i was like okay i just got to get this pattern done but then you look at those flies in your box and you know like they're subpar you know it's like oh man i left something on the table there with that one <laughs> and uh, i would rather tie like something really well if it takes me you know 20 25 minutes versus pump out a half dozen that are okay i'll throw this on the line and see what happens what what's the hardest fly for you to tie? Like like style stylistically, like is it is it big bait patterns? Is it deer hair spun? Is it extended bodies? Where where do you kind of really have to hone your skills or go? Okay, I gotta really do this slow. Yeah, I think uh, I think Ken Craft and Trout Waters and a few of those guys they've seen. Um, my money for more gonfance, gonfance than I'd like to admit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I that's one pattern I shy away from. Um, you know, I don't mind playing around with deer hair and elk hair and all that sort of stuff, but I think it's just like the mess, right? I just cannot sit down and be like, okay, take some deep breaths. We're gonna tie a gonfance tonight. It just does not happen for me. Well, that's that's why. So I know you use the pedestal because you just said that, but that's why I like the clamp because I have the waste basket attached to the main part of the vice, so everything just falls in there, and it's like oh, brilliant! You, know, yeah. you get a few things here and there, but you got to get the Hope old. My clamp. my wife is watching because Father's Day is coming up again. <laughs> <laughs> you got to break out the dustbuster once in a while. Don't get me wrong, yeah, but absolutely. no, you, I think a lot of people don't realize when you start stacking and packing and trimming elk hair deer hair it's it's a gong show man it's like yeah <laughs> you know it's like when the flies are done they look beautiful but it's like do, do you know how much of a mess i had to make doing that oh yeah yeah the aftermath is not pretty no no i feel that for sure um wh what do you use when you tie your chronomids for thread are you still on the semper semperfly or are you UTC? What I, I'm curious because I know I talked to somebody a while ago out of the states, and um, he's like, "Mark, you got to use the right thread for the job." So if you're stacking and you're you're packing deer hair, then you want the Semperfy or Nano Silk, real strong, strong stuff. But sometimes you want the UTC, something lays flat, and and it doesn't have to be super strong. I'm curious, what what's your go-to when you're tying small, small patterns? 
yeah yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of at a crossroads right now to be honest i've been a i've been a utc 70 fan through and through i've got um you know drawers full of colors of those and uh and that's been my go-to because it, it does lay so flat um i you know prior to that i tested out just some you know dansville um wax thread and that's good it's got its purpose but for chronomids like utc 70 lays so flat and then yeah and then i got introduced into the nano silk world and it's like holy cow that stuff is micro thin mm -hmm. um you know i'm definitely gonna be acquiring a lot more of that stuff like togan's just onboarded a whole bunch of semperfly materials which i'm chomping at the bit to get my hands on okay. um i also hear that uh that tech stream stuff is really lights out a lot of guys are using that yeah, um i've yet to yeah, do you have any any experience with that at all? Or? Absolutely zero. But I had a listener okay. reach out to me last <laughs> last actually two days ago and said, because I I was talking about this very thing UTC and how because I do love how flat it lays. I love the colors it comes in. Yeah, um, you know it's it's a great product. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm spinning deer hair, I'm not using it. Sorry. Yeah. No, no offense, but um, that and that's why I like the Semperfly. Semperfly. Sorry. But um, no, I, it's funny you said that because I, so they, they recommended the, uh, the tech stream because you'll, you'll like how strong it is, how flat it lays. Have not tried it. I know West Penny's, hmm. West Penny's a big um, proponent of that. So um, yeah. I will, I'll, I'll dig into it. Is that, yeah. does Togan's carrying that? Is that a? They don't yeah. yet. No, okay. I know a few other local, you know, BC guys are, are carrying that. And uh, yeah. yeah, the one thing I'd be interested to try is like, I know uh, Semperfly makes their, their wax thread and like the durability of that nano silk is unparalleled, but I'm sure their wax thread kind of stands up to those tests as well. Be interesting to do a little video comparison of TechStream to Semperfly to UTC and just, you know, show different uh, properties of that thread. I mean, here we're, you know, we're splitting hairs what the fish are seeing right like yeah, yeah. it's a, it's so comical they can't notice uh you know that the big gaping hook but yet we're critiquing the different dye lots <laughs> of thread and this and that but i'm like man whatever you know whatever floats your boat yeah no and that's that's for me what i love about tying it's like um do what works for you do what gives you confidence because if you don't have confidence in what you're tying on your tippet it doesn't matter yeah. it doesn't matter what you're using right you got yeah absolutely you know, Hmm. Good stuff. Um, paint me a picture, man. I, your dream day. So I assume it's on a still water, but maybe not like, um, walk us through your perfect day. What does it look like? Who are you hanging with? Um, what kind of species are you chasing? What kind of flies are you throwing? Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. That's Let's see how many hours we have to fill here. <laughs> <laughs> no, much, I, I got kind of, you want, man. Yeah, no, thank you, Mark. Um, I got kind of two perfect days that come to mind. One is going right back to, to my youth, right? And I think it's that nostalgia piece. We were fortunate to live up the road, maybe a couple kilometers from a, a nice creek. And it just had, you know, small rainbows in it. But um, getting on the bike, you know, tying your, your fly rod with a rope to your back. And it was me and my brother going down there and you build dams you play in the water you fish a little bit like 
life that was living, right? Like there was no stress. Mm-hmm. Um, you bring home a few guppies to eat and it was, you know, those were the good old days. And then, uh, so I'm always reminiscent of like, you know, sitting on the banks and you just hear that rushing water and, and, uh, that, that really takes me back. Um, and then, you know, the other flip side of that is, yeah, you're on a, a pristine still water. Yeah. You're at the boat launch. You're the first one there, even though, you know, oftentimes the fish don't heat up till bankers hours, like a 10 till two type day, <laughs> but something about it. Like if, if I got the go ahead to go fish a day, I'm getting up well before sun up. I'm getting on the water just as the sun's coming over the mountains, launch your boat. You're the only one on the lake. You've got just like just glass right there's there's not a ripple on the water because you know as the as the day progresses on you're going to get that little riffle which is what you want but if it's still in the morning then it's like hey this is makings for a really good day um and then for me it's like okay you, you know you don't have an agenda you're fishing the day away turn your phone on to airplane mode or if you're in one of the uh more remote lakes you don't have cell service anyway and you just you're in the moment you're you're setting your your lines up you're touring around looking for signs of whether it's swallow activity or Mm -hmm. fish coming up and surfacing and kind of hone in on those areas you set set anchor and maybe have you know a nice nice crisp beverage and some snacks and yeah sit down and listen to you know, fly, fly fish, uh, 97 podcast. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. I don't want to ruin that. That sounds pretty good. I don't, I don't know that I want to hear that when I'm out there, <laughs> but I know exactly what you're talking about. Like for me, I go to the podcast and go to the tunes when I'm at the vice, but when you're out there and it's quiet and you might have a campfire if, you know, with all the crazy forest fire seasons we've had lately maybe not yeah <laughs> but that, for me that was always something special to have uh, a nice warm something warm to drink at the end of the day you know and kind of yeah. reminisce about uh, about the day but uh yeah man that's uh, yeah when when you're in it you just listen to every sound and soak that up i know what you mean there mark for sure well that i i think too that um the one thing that i really noticed about fly fishing it really hones your observation skills. Like you, you talked about it. You yeah. notice the swallows or you might notice, um, tiny incremental minute insects coming off the water that you wouldn't notice if you weren't chasing those fins. You know what I mean? It just yeah. kind of makes you yeah. pay attention. And for me, that, um, where I get grateful is in the minute details. Cause it's like, I don't know if anyone's looking at that, but that, yeah who did that <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's like it's like man it's um you and i couldn't come up with that something bigger no. has done that and, oh yeah you're you're right on there yeah and so for me that's there's something cool about that for sure yeah and i think that's what separates like you know being a novice fly fisher um to you know some of the more experienced guys they look for those little subtleties and they're able to like pick on uh pick up on it in like a moment's notice and change their tactics and like that's i think you know the definition of 
of, of success is like, you know, the, the willingness to, to try something different and, and change your tactics or, you know, up your anchors and move out, you know, another five feet or move in another five feet and not just, you know, be stagnant. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, all those tiny minute details all play a, a role in that, in that bigger picture for sure. I'd love to talk about your creative process. So when you're at the vice, and you're going, okay, I'm going to come up with a new chronomet, a new leech, a new whatever. Do you find yourself going to the memory bank or do you look at photos maybe from, from throat samples you've taken? Like I'm always curious how, how people come up with new patterns. And, and for me, there's, I find a lot of people copy something else and put their own spin on it. But I think if you can somehow take it back to the basics and look at the Look at what's in front of you. Look at what that 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 bloodworm looks like, or that chronomid looks like in the sample, and try and imitate that. I, I always think yeah. there's a lot more to be learned there, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface sometimes. Yeah, I think that's the that's the tricky part. Like I gotta say, when I when I was first starting out tying. It was much easier to decide what I wanted to tie because I had like a half dozen materials, right? <laughs> and so you're like, okay, what's going to look good if I do this and then add this rib or make this as the tail? It was a much shorter and easier selection process. Mm-hmm. And now you feel overwhelmed. You see like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different pictures online, like these great Stillwaters groups um, and like just YouTube videos, it can get overwhelming very quickly, but I always go back to like, okay, what, what do I know is going to work? What do I enjoy tying? And then, you know, you, you see some of these great, great ties and it's like, yeah, like you said, I could put my own spin on that. You know, I could, I could change this. I wonder if I did this and like, you know, the properties of, okay, obviously pheasant tail feathers are going to work or, you know, some, some ears hair, uh, dubbing. That's just like the old traditional staples. So I think for my own tie and I, you know, you, you rely heavy on the, the proven, um, patterns back from, you know, the, the early 1900s, but then there's that creative side of me that I'm just like, okay, like I haven't messed around with this material yet. Um, you know, I look at some of the different, um, like all the different dubbings, all the different straggle strings now, like um, you talk mm-hmm. about like jelly fritz for all your, your blobs and some of the different polar ice dubbing. And you know you can get over overwhelmed so quickly, but oh, it's yeah. like, what am I actually going to in, in the heat of the battle, what am I going to reach into my fly box and what am I going to fish confidently? Cause that's the fly that I want to tie. I love, I love what you said there because I, I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to probably be a little polarizing in this, but I think there's a lot of great tires that aren't great fly fishers. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of great fly fishers that aren't great tires. So when I, for me, if you can combine what works, if you know it works, put a little spin on that, maybe in a slightly different direction, it's probably going to work, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I've seen that on the water, like humbling moments for myself. I, 
took a buddy out and and got him a you know a handful of chronomids and and i tied on the exact same pattern we're fishing you know maybe four feet apart from each other and he's just slaying it and i'm like what <laughs> on earth like i i can only blame my own skills right now and then just realizing like he was just fixated like like a cat like on that indicator and as soon as the slightest twitch in that thing he was on it yeah. and for me you know i'm i'm looking around i'm just staring at the you know the mountain like a lot of <laughs> dreaming of my next fly that i'm gonna tie and meanwhile you know i've got maybe three or four fish that have already sampled my chronomid and spat it out before i'd even realize that is such a huge huge factor i i know in the waters that we fish we, we we talk about it all the time it's like that something just looks wrong even before it goes down it's like yeah <laughs> you you almost and i don't want to say anticipate it but you you just have a funny feeling that it's moving sideways yeah. or it's like it's hard to verbalize and other times it's like that thing's just like it's gone right yeah <laughs> there's no you don't have to do a thing wow. and i think so i forget who it was but someone said it best like you know hook sets are free so why don't you utilize them? Oh, <laughs> like, who said give a that? little give a little strip set right oh, it's man. not gonna ruin your day <laughs> i had somebody on that po- on this podcast say that a long time ago and i'm trying yeah to think, oh that I'm stuck with me for to sure think who it was hook sets are free i'm gonna look that up because I, I for sure man you're hitting some bells there good stuff have you had anything super weird happen to you on the water like like a wildlife encounter or just a bizarre fishing story that that comes to mind Oh, I've got, I've got two if we've got time there, Mark. Well, we're making, yeah. we're making time. <laughs> that's right. We own the time yes. tonight. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the first instance, which I'm not proud of, it was in my younger, younger years, um, you know, immature Brandon and shame on me. Don't, don't hate me if you're listening to this podcast and don't worry, I'm not going to incriminate myself here, Mark. Um, <laughs> but I'm, uh, so I'm up belly boat in one of my favorite bodies of waters, um, I've got the waders on, the flippers on, and I've got a loon that's menacing me about. And this is like this particular body of water. I got to hike in a little bit and it's up in bear country and um, bears like the taste of Brandon flesh. So I bring along bear spray with me and I have that in my waders um, and I'm having a great time except for this pesky loon and it starts creeping me out i think maybe the night before i might have watched like jaws or some some horror movie and it's dive bombing between my legs trying to figure out where these fish are and it's getting like aggressive and so i move to other areas of the lake and i'm like okay i'll leave you your space and he just follows me continues on following me and increasingly more aggressive with me he's coming up and he's flapping his his wings like in my face i've never seen this type of behavior i've shared the water with a lot of loons before and just freaking me out so i look down at my hip waders and i'm like oh, i got this, this bear spray here <laughs> what's saying i uh, i dust the air a little bit <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I give it a little blast and sure enough he catches wind of that and just starts squawking and flapping his wings and then you know the rest of the day was just peaceful no loons around are you serious <laughs> yeah oh yeah a little bit of that in the air yeah. and uh yeah he he was leaving me alone he was not having what i was spraying out there so um <laughs> well that's that's <laughs> that's interesting um now let's let's not be making that a habit but no, no absolutely it, you know what's funny is 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 i've been there man and and 
we always call it feeding the loons. Like sometimes you have yeah. to sacrifice a fish, otherwise they won't leave you alone. And 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 you know what I mean. Like if if there's loons hovering around your your boat, the fish are they're not hanging out. Yeah, yeah, they just kind of ruin it for everyone. But hey, we're you know we're in their kitchen, right? Yeah, or, no, we're well guests said. on their leg, so that's that's the biggest thing. The other story is less, uh, you know, less questionable. I promise you that. So we're uh, <laughs> my wife and myself, and I've got a, a two-year-old daughter at the time. She was I don't know maybe eight or or nine months old, and uh, we go down to to a body of water that I used to fish in my childhood, and we bring along my dog moose he's a he's a big uh bernadoodle so he's a, a bernese cross with a, a poodle nice. and uh big big black furry furry guy and so moose comes along for the fishing trip and uh, i bring my belly boat and and i set my wife up with uh i think it was just a, a spinning rod from shore and um i said kate you know you you take care of the baby i'm gonna go out and fly fish thanks i love you <laughs> and uh, and a few casts in and she hooks a limb so it's like okay well yeah i don't i i'm out here fly fishing i'll I'll be right back shortly and so she she rigs up kind of macgyver's her own fishing pole she she grabs a a stick and finds some line and fishes around in my my toolbox and gets a hook and i think we had like some worms or something at the time so she gets that set out on this long stick and it's just dipping into the water um (laughs) <laughs> and I'm out there once again, flogging the water with my fly rod, just having, having the time. And all of a sudden she sees this long stick that starts just floating away, away from shore. <laughs> and she's like, fish, fish, fish. And uh, meanwhile, she's tending to to Frankie. My daughter's name is Frankie and stirring and like, okay, well, my hands are full. I can't get the, the, the stick right now. Moose, Moose, go get the stick. So Moose goes and swims out a little bit, grabs a stick, retrieves it back to shore. And sure enough, there's a nice rainbow trout on the end of that. <laughs> and so <laughs> between her and Moose, they outfished me that day. <laughs> That's old school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. You, you got to give your wife credit on that. A stick. Oh yeah. Pretty innovative. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. that's, that's taking it back to the roots. Yeah. Like you said about some people are better fly tires than they are fly fishers. Well, my wife's a better fly fisher than I am. I think so. <laughs> I, I think mo- most women I fished with just have, there's some, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how to verbalize it, but women catch more fish. Um, yeah. Amen. There's Amen. no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> is, is there anything about fly fishing that kind of irks you, Brandon? Like, is there anything that you go, I oh, man, I wish we could be doing a little better at this or better at that, or maybe, uh, you know, a little less, you know, social media grip and grin. Is there, is there anything that kind of irks you? I think I can sum it up by saying two words. And don't worry, we don't have to bleep anything out. But uh, <laughs> when you know you you post a picture of this fish you're you're proud of, or uh, anything about something on a water, and you get the comment that says, "What lake?" It's just like, of course I'm going to give you a genuine response because you asked so eloquently, right? It's like, you know, I'm I'm more than happy to share information. Like to me. I look back on how influential, you know, some of these experienced fly fishermen and fly tires have been. And like, I always want to pay it forward, right? If someone's messaging me and truly cares about it, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out and help them out. But if it's just 
what lake then it's like oh come on man like do do your homework and, and go out there and, and try some and but uh i'd say that's kind of the, the the main thing that irks me like on on the flip side of that man we've come a long way with like the willingness to to share information like even the whole platform of of these facebook groups and stuff it's like we're we're putting our art on display to to help others emulate it and imitate it so it's like i love that that brotherhood and that camaraderie of it i I, you know i see that um progressing and and it's it's weeding out a lot of the the bozos that are you know there to sabotage or, or put you down and i'm really liking what i'm seeing lately I love it. Amen to that. I find where I struggle sometimes is I'm not a real secretive person. Spots I am, but patterns I'm not. So I put some patterns out in the last little bit that, that have their money for me. And they're, they're like, I, I, and I don't see a lot of people tying. I mean, there's similar stuff out there, but it, it amazes me how specific time can be for your neck of the woods. Like I'm sure yeah. the lakes you frequent, like if you just put a, you know, a little, little bit of black and blue UV or uh, maybe a little hot spot, you know, there's speak to that. There's always that little tweak that you kind of have for your waters that you know works and you know it because you've been there and you've done that and yeah. it just stands out. Like, has that been your experience? Oh yeah. I think, uh, you know, my biggest dilemma is like when it comes to fly tying, I'm, I'm such a perfectionist that like, like, like you mentioned earlier, every wrap's got a count. Right. And like, but what I find is the more fished out a fly is the better it catches. So I'm like, why on earth am I like painstakingly making these creations when, (laughs) you know, after they get demolished and it's a piece of thread with maybe a little piece of like dubbing left on it, their lights out. So that has always been like, um, I think Deb, Deb always says like, fish something buggy right i think that's her handle on tiktok and stuff and it's like mm-hmm. it's true like the more beat up the more buggy that seems to be a lot more attractive but um you know i'll tie patterns very similar to each other different sizes like you said maybe adding a hot spot and maybe making something a little bit more drab or subtle and then you fish those um you know if if you're into fish and you know fish are down there you got you're allowed to fish two rods when you're by yourself so usually i'll set up and and kind of compare and contrast the two different flies and then over time you pick up this this repertoire and different patterns of like okay well this outfished that one today and then you kind of go back to those patterns and see if you can tweak them or approve them uh, a little bit more right mm-hmm. what what what's one pattern in your box day to day that you just can't go without it's like okay this is going on at some point today oh that's a really good question i'm staring at like i've got like seven or eight different boxes here but uh i i i love fishing um damselfly nymphs right Mm -hmm. so i've got um i've got some that i tie with uh tiny little what are they one sixteenths um, matte black beads for eyes and um and i'd tie one with like straggle string and then as well one just full marabou with different color ribs you know you can do them in ginger and olive like any shade of olive some browns i'd say like a damselfly nymph um more often than not like if if the fish are in the the weed beds and in the shoals i'm throwing on a damselfly nymph i uh, for whatever reason i just love the 
the live the, or the likelihood that that thing looks to the naturals. Somebody once told me that if you tie your patterns in the same color as the weeds in the lake, you can't go too far wrong. But but I will tell you, you just mentioned a color ginger, and for me, that color combination in marabou whether it's in the damsel pattern specifically even maize it's lights yeah. out and, oh and- yeah gingers have souls man gingers have souls <laughs> are you speaking from experience here yeah no 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 <laughs> do they play the banjo <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, no yeah that's a i think that's an untapped color that a lot of people don't look into but it's like man yeah from what i've sampled in some of the throat samples like there's oftentimes something whether it's like a scud that's you know, ginger color or else like damselfly nymphs. That seems to be, like you say, lights out. Well, I swear that's why a lot of those micro leech patterns work. It's, it's not, it's not always a leech. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, especially yeah. if it's in ginger or, or olive or those, when those you've seen, you, and I see this a lot, those really super small, they're like micro damsels. They're like, they're like yeah. not even a centimeter long. They're tiny. You know, yeah. they're like an immature damsel, and and I've seen a lot of fish full of those over the years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I, I would be at a miss if I didn't mention like my favorite chronomid pattern. Um, mm. I think like man, anything, anything like blue done. If you know, if you can get the <laughs> the the right uh, shade of blue done, um, those are like just proven with either like. Uh, a copper rib or a, a, you know a, a gold rib um i've even seen them like black rib i think blue done is the color or else just the old standard like you don't really need anything else than a black with a red rib you know whether you got gills on it whether you do a white bead head i think like those are probably my most worn out chronomids or those two particular colors i will tell you that three of the biggest fish that I've ever seen caught came on a black chronomid, white bead, red rib, super basic. <laughs> we used to call them snow cones, ice cream cones. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, they work, especially know, uh, in tea colored oh, waters. No, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, that, that white bead. Yeah. It just stands out. They call it what the, the Teddy on sport fishing on the fly. Is, is that what they call it? Okay. I, I think so. Yeah. From watching some of their YouTube, but yeah, no, so, sorry. I cut you off there. No, just that, pure excitement. It's like, yeah, all right. That, <laughs> I, I feel that. So that blue dun color, are we talking UTC 70 blue dun? Or are we talking a different one? Yeah. Yeah. UTC 70. I still have some of the, uh, I don't know. There's much debate right now online, um, you know, different shades of it. And I think that's why, um, some guys were switching to tech stream was, you know, from die lot to die lot. It varies a little bit, but, right. um, yeah, UTC 70 blue done. Uh, it's usually sold out in, in so many places, but, uh, check out your, you know, your Togan's website for that. Um, they try to keep ample stock of that particular color too. I got some from your buddies over at Togan's maybe two weeks ago. There you go. And I'm, I got it in my hand and I'm looking at it and it's more gray blue yeah i don't know man you know do you know when i find that works real well brandon is when the mayflies are popping and yeah we're fishing it as a chronomid but i swear to god that imitates mayflies yeah yeah you you could be spot on there i think some of the most frustrating times that i've had is 
trying dries, trying chronomids and like just not having a particular uh, type of mayfly. So I'll have to keep that in the old uh, memory bank to try next time that I'm getting frustrated there. Are you using a lot of tungsten or what are you using for beads? Yeah, yeah. For my own uh, my own boxes, I uh, I typically have tungsten, uh, and then you know you're just dependent on setting your indicator properly, right? I, I do fish with a, a barrel swivel, and then a couple of feet of fluorocarbon leader or uh, tippet in front of that, and then I'm usually throwing on tungsten. Um, you know, I used to sell some uh, some flies, and um, you know, brass was just all that I would fish and, you know, it was a lot more, um, cost effective. Um, but I'm a firm believer in, in the tungsten beads. They just, especially in choppy water, they, uh, yeah. they kind of hang it in that water column properly. And then you have your barrel swivel that acts as kind of like a bit of a, a dampener, a little, a little shock suspension. So it gives it some real lifelike movement in, in choppier water. Well, it- the one thing that you just hit on there for me too is like you we were talking earlier about how it just slightly moves differently or it just it's more sensitive so it only makes sense if you're using tungsten that it's that much heavier that your indie's going to move that much quicker and you won't potentially miss it yeah, yeah. For a guy that, that like me, that's off daydreaming, <laughs> kind of hits me in the face. And it's like, oh yeah, that that's submerged. That's probably something I should check out. Oh man, that's good stuff. Well, you know what? I I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight, man. Because um, I I love what you're up to with Togans and and your tying, and you're you're such a humble guy, and you're everything that I love about this industry. So keep up the good work, man. And 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 thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Like this, you know, been listening to your podcast for a long time now, and this is just a dream come true. So really appreciate chatting with you tonight. Let, let's get all your social media out there. So if somebody wants to follow along on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to post your, your pics, how do we, how do we follow you on uh, social media? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what I've got on actually on, on Togan's website, there's a, a portion that says, um, our pro team. And yep. so I've got a whole bio on there and then it lists everything by spelling. I'm on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, I've got a YouTube channel and TikTok as well. And, uh, my handle is Tyne is my vice. So vice is spelt V I S E little play on words there. And then, yeah, just my, my full name on Facebook there. If anyone wants to to reach out, shoot me a message. I'd, I'd love to help where I can and, and swap stories with you guys. You've been listening tonight to a chat with Brandon Molson. Check him out. In, he's out of Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. Pro staff with Togan's Fly Shop, avid bow hunter, plays the banjo, and just uh, an all-around musician and all-around good guy creating some amazing patterns. Check him out. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm